From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. A global effort to eradicate polio has resulted in a dramatic drop in the number of cases, but there are still some infections every year, and there are people who are still dealing with the after effects of a polio infection. Here to talk about polio and post-polio syndrome is Dr. Jenny Meyer. She's an assistant professor of neurology at Upstate. Welcome to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Meyer. Thank you so much for having me, Amber. It might seem like polio belongs in another era because it was like a century ago when it was one of the most feared diseases in North America. I'd like to start by asking you to tell us a little about the history of polio. Sure. Um, So polio was first described in the late 1800s, but it wasn't actually discovered as to what it was until 1908. Um, actually, it was discovered in Vienna, Austria, by uh, two scientists, uh, Carl Landstinger and Erwin Popper. And they basically found by uh, taking uh, uh, autopsies of patients who had had polio, they filtered their cerebral spinal fluid through a uh, type of uh, cloth, a very like a fine. And because bacteria would typically get caught in the filter, they realized that after they injected the filtered CSF into monkeys that it caused polio in monkeys. So they figured out it's a virus, not a bacteria uh, back way back in 1908, uh, which is impressive. Wow. Now you said CSF? Yeah. Cerebrospinal fluid uh, oh. is uh, the fluid that they were taking from the um, autopsies from those patients. Now, uh, a century ago, we didn't have as much uh, travel as we do today. How did polio make its way to America? So polio is uh, transmitted very easily. It's a highly infectious virus. Um if someone in your home was to get it, there's almost a 99 to 100% chance that you will get it too. It's passed uh, through what's called fecal oral, which sounds disgusting, but actually is a very common passage. Uh, basically, people who don't adequately wash their hands after toileting uh, have some you know, residual fecal matter on their hands, which then they touch an object in the house. Someone else touches that object, then eats or touches their mouth, goes in, and then they get the virus too. Um, The other way is that if someone is actively sick and coughing and sneezing, they can spread the virus through what's called droplet, uh, which is basically the particles that fly out of your nose or mouth when you cough. Uh, So someone else could breathe those in and get the virus that way. So it's very infectious. And so because of that, you know, regardless of what part of the world has polio, it can spread easily from household to household. So I know people were really, really afraid of this. Did did it kill people or what what were the symptoms? What did polio do to you? Yeah, so uh, polio actually starts as sort of a generic cold. Um, Usually people will have symptoms of sore throat, maybe some diarrhea or nausea, flu-like symptoms for just a few days. And then most of the time people will just recover and not have any additional symptoms. However, there is this uh, sort of complicated version of polio where certain people will get uh, the polio virus will migrate into their nervous system and cause paralysis. And this typically would occur probably seven to 10 days, uh, uh, sometimes a little bit uh, longer than that after having the cold part of the virus. And uh, it would cause them to become weak in their limbs. They would have trouble breathing. They could have trouble swallowing and required hospitalization. 
Now, this disease was rampant in the early 1900s, so we didn't have a lot of the medical care that we have now. So, uh, I mean, thinking about what ventilators looked like back then um, uh, in terms of people with breathing issues, I mean, many people died of just not being able to breathe because they weren't able to get to a hospital or if their hospital had a ventilator, you know, hopefully it would keep them alive or they had enough for everybody who needed them, things like that. So how did, how was it treated? Were there any medications or, I mean, what did they use to treat this? So there isn't actually any um, medical uh, treatment in terms of medications to treat polio. It is a virus. So unfortunately there wasn't any medications developed to go against polio. What we really had to do to help people survive it was to keep them alive long enough for their bodies to fight it off. So Uh, Patients would be admitted to the hospital, they would be put in ICU, uh, intensive care unit, Um, they would be attached to a ventilator if they needed it, Uh, they would be given fluids, um, nutrition by maybe a tube if they needed it, um, just to keep their body living long enough to fight off the virus. Then afterwards, you know, these are people who are paralyzed. Uh, There was a significant period of time where the doctors and, you know, therapists would work with the patient to recover as much of their strength as they could. But it really was the natural healing process of the body that we were just facilitating in the medical field. Well, eventually a vaccine was developed. Did Did that come along quickly or how did that come into fashion? So actually, the vaccine wasn't really developed until the 1950s. So if you imagine the polio started being described way back in the late 1800s, I mean, it was almost 50 to 60, 70 years before we had a vaccine. And those early vaccines were interesting in that they uh, were being tested in um, uh, people who basically either couldn't consent to you know, provide their own uh, care or they uh, were being tested on people who volunteered. So the studies were not very robust initially. um, And some of them even were somewhat unethical, I would say. Uh, The uh, vaccine itself uh, actually was developed in two different ways. And um, it wasn't until like the I would say 1952 when Salk, who we all, I think, associate with the polio vaccine. Um, That's Dr. Dr. Jonas Dr. Salk. Salk, who we, I think, uh, commonly know as uh, the founder of the polio vaccine. He actually did his first study in 1952, which was you know, a significant time period. It was effective, lucky for him. Um, Although I thought, interestingly, I found out that they originally tested it in disabled children and they didn't tell the parents whether they got the vaccine or a placebo, which was somewhat, I think, unethical. Wow. Well, uh, let me remind listeners, this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with neurologist Dr. Jenny Meyer about polio. So in terms of eradicating polio, how have public health officials almost accomplished that? Yeah, so there's actually two different vaccines for polio. Um, In the U.S., we all primarily get a intravenous vaccine, um, which is a series of four shots that actually are given to children because the disease is most 
uh, people are most susceptible when they're under age five. Uh, so if your child goes through the traditional vaccine route, they would get shots at two months, four months, six months, and then um, a booster when they're about four or six years old, four to six years old. Um, and that is how we keep polio at bay in the U.S. because there isn't any active wild virus polio moving around. In the undeveloped world, uh, there is a oral vaccine, which is given mainly because it's really hard to give shots to people when they don't have regular medical care. And so because it's a liquid, it can be given by volunteers who go and uh, work in you know, uh, communities without doctors. Um, the oral vaccine is about 50% effective after the first dose, which is two drops under the tongue. And then you need actually subsequent doses um, actually three really to be protected uh, with the oral vaccine, which is why polio still remains um, present in our world. Uh, because if you imagine that only 50% of your population is dropping their polio uh, passing or their ability to pass polio after one dose, you know, that those there's still people in the community that are passing polio around. And so it really requires consistent uh, frequent vaccinations in undeveloped uh, underdeveloped countries to prevent the virus from becoming an issue again. So the World Health Organization in December 2019 uh, issued a concern that the trend of increasing cases of polio was not slowing. So are, are we seeing polio coming back in the United States? Uh, I actually don't know specifically about the data in the U.S., but I know that um, because of the fact that we use the intravenous vaccine, there are um, no cases report. I mean, this is a killed vaccine, so there's no active virus in our vaccine. So in the U.S. specifically, the population doesn't um, have uh, wild polio unless someone was to bring it in from another country, um, but they also in the U.S., we don't have the risk of what's called a vaccine-associated polio, which can happen with the oral vaccine. Um, because the oral vaccine is a killed virus, there may be, in the process of producing it, some viral particles that do not fully become killed. And so there is a very small risk of uh, basically getting polio from the vaccine if you use the oral vaccine, which is why the U.S. has gone exclusively intravenous. However, like I said in um, other countries where they don't have uh, as easily or easy access to medical care, they uh, still are using the oral vaccine, which is why some cases can occur in those populations actually just from being vaccinated. Although I should say as a doctor that the risk of developing polio from the vaccine is much lower than the risk of contracting polio from another person if it is active in your population. Well, I understand that Upstate has a post-polio syndrome research and treatment center. Can you tell us about it? Yeah. So um, Dr. Jubel, who was our former chair, Dr. Burke Jubel, he was our former chair, was a very active polio researcher in his career. Uh, he recently retired in uh, 2019 May, um, but he uh, really uh, took a lot of interest in polio patients and sort of built this entire center uh around that uh so our so focus, let me let me interrupt yeah, you these are people who survived polio but years ago 
Yes. Most okay. of the patients are, I would say, over the age of 65. Uh, most of them had polio as a child in the U.S. before uh, vaccines became widely available, which, like I said, is after 1950. Um, so these people uh, needed someone to help them through their uh, disabilities as they aged. Um, Post-polio syndrome is a condition in which people who have had polio will recover for a period of their, their life. And then as they age, the symptoms worsen, even in parts of the body that had seemingly fully healed. Uh, and so uh, they need, you know, new assistive devices to walk. They need uh, therapy to complete their regular daily functions. They often have pain associated with this. So they need medications to help sort that out. Uh, so that's what our center is basically focused on is trying to help people who had polio live well. So you mentioned uh, some of the symptoms may be pain, but they're, these people are still dealing with some degree of paralysis, perhaps, that's been lifelong. Yeah, sometimes the patients will have a permanent disability directly after their polio, but a lot of them recover quite, you know, quite well. They may have a limp, they might have some subtle weakness in an arm or a leg. So they, they will call it, you know, their bad leg or their bad arm, but you may not even know that someone that, you know, had polio if it wasn't very severe. Um, but uh, post-polio syndrome isn't discriminate against who uh, had polio and who had, who had a bad case of polio and who had a, a light case of post-polio polio. post-polio syndrome can happen to anybody who had polio. Is it possible? I mean, are these um, uh, side effects that uh, came during the infection, or is it possible for someone to develop some symptoms today, not realizing that, you know, they had had polio way back when? Um, I think it's pretty unlikely for someone not to know if they had had polio, uh, because the patients who have the highest risk of post-polio syndrome are patients who typically had pretty severe polio as a child. Uh, the, the worse your disability was then, the more likely you're to become disabled now. Uh, so I would say if you had a very, very mild case of, say, just the cold virus related to polio, the chances of you developing post-polio syndrome are, I would say, slim to none. Well, that's good to know. Now, how can people gain access to the center? Is there um, a phone number or a website? So actually, they just have to get a referral from their primary care doctor to the Upstate Neurology Department. Uh, we have uh, all of our referrals, uh, whether it's multiple sclerosis, polio, ALS, they all go through the same uh, same referrals department, and then it just gets uh, sent to the correct uh, scheduling team. So uh, the number for our main office is 315-464-4243. But like I said, we do require a referral from a primary care doctor uh, to be screened for the clinic. So you'd have to talk to your personal doctor first. Thank you to neurologist Dr. Jenny Meyer. I'm your host, Amber Smith, thanking you for listening to Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.